This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week I'm joined by Lindsay Hamilton and Jim Orr. Sadly, former Leeds United and Scotland great Peter Lorimer passed away last weekend at the age of 74, following a long battle with illness. One of the Elland Road Club's greatest ever servants, we take a look back at the life of a Leeds and Scotland legend in this week's episode. Before we get started, we have this week's trivia question for you. Last Saturday, Queen's Park played their last ever game at Hamden Park, defeating Stranraer 3-0 before moving to their new home at Lesser Hamden. Who were their opponents in their first ever game at Hamden in 1903? We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. On the 28th of May 1975, the European Cup final was played at Parc des Princes in Paris and saw the reigning European champions Bayern Munich up against Jimmy Armfield's Leeds United team. While Bayern were the favourites to retain the trophy, their victories in the previous rounds were slender and they had finished mid-table in the Bundesliga. If they didn't win the cup, there would be no European football next season for the Bavarian powerhouse. Leeds United were no longer under the management of Don Reeve, who left to take the England job in the summer of 1974. They initially appointed Brian Clough, who arrived from Brighton and Hove Albion, but only lasted 44 days after a dismal start. Armfield was brought in and managed to stabilise things slightly. Despite finishing ninth in the English First Division, Leeds had done well to get themselves to the final. To get to the final, Leeds had beaten FC Zurich, Upeste Dosa, Anderlecht and Barcelona. The semi-final against Barca was a tight contest that saw Gordon McQueen sent off, meaning that he would miss the final in Paris. Despite McQueen missing from the starting lineup. Five Scots were in the Leeds team. David Stewart, Billy Bremner, Frank Gray, Peter Lorimer and Joe Jordan. The final got off to a fiery start as Bayern's Swedish defender Bjorn Andersson had to be substituted off for Sepp Weiss after coming off worse in a tackle with Terry Yorath four minutes into the game. The Welshman was fortunate not to be sent off but this was to be about the only slice of good fortune for the Yorkshire side. With just over 10 minutes until half-time, the Leeds players were surrounding the French referee, Michel Kitabjan, asking him to award a penalty, as Franz Beckenbauer appeared to handle the ball inside his own box. These appeals fell on deaf ears, as did another penalty appeal when Alan Clark was bundled over in the Bayern box by Beckenbauer. In the second half, Leeds came out and dominated the game. The Whites found themselves with a brilliant chance to score in the 62nd minute, when Billy Bremner found a shot from close range saved by Sepp Meyer, whose reflexes saved Bayern's blushes. One minute later, Leeds won a free kick which Johnny Giles took. Geoffrey Green of the Times described what happened next. Giles floated over a free kick, 
and as the ball bobbled around in a crowded goalmouth, Lorimer volleyed high into the net. Leeds went wild with excitement, only to be dashed in the next moment when the referee disallowed the goal. Peter Lorimer thought he had written himself into immortality in Leeds United folklore as a scorer in a European Cup final. In Phil Rostron's Peter Lorimer, Leeds and Scotland hero, Peter said, I always looked at the referee before beginning my celebration and he was pointing to the centre circle. There was no reaction from the linesman and when I looked at Bayern's goalkeeper, I could tell that he thought it was a goal. Then Beckenbauer took charge. Beckenbauer was known in the game for running referees. He started having words with Kitabjan, the referee, and to our total disbelief, the goal was ruled out. Replays later showed that Billy Bremner had been marginally offside, but the protests from Der Kaiser seemed to have swung the officials' minds since they at first awarded the goal. The Leeds fans in the crowd started rioting as a result, throwing missiles onto the pitch in protest. This was to prove a turning point in the game, as Bayern then scored two goals to win the cup. When they took the decision to parade the cup past the Leeds side of the stadium, they quickly realised how bad an idea this was as more missiles rained down upon them. Leeds had been unlucky, but had ultimately fallen short at the final hurdle, and it was the last hurrah of Don Reavy's great team before it would start to be broken up. As UEFA subsequently banned Leeds United from Europe for four years, later reduced to two, it would be a long time before they would again reach the same heights in Europe. One man who had been there for the glory days of Reavy, and who would remain for some years to come, was the Scottish attacking midfielder Peter Lorimer. This is his story. Peter Patrick Lorimer was born on the 14th of December 1946 in Dundee to Janet and Peter Lorimer. As a boy, Peter would play football at any opportunity and honed his skills and his famously hard shots this way. He attended Stobswell School in Dundee where he played for the school team and scored 176 goals in one season, an astonishing number of goals that ensured his place in the Dundee schools team. In addition to this, he played with Brotty YMCA's team. With goal-scoring form like he showed for his school, he was called up to play for Scotland schoolboys. At the age of 13, Peter scored twice in an under-15 match for Scotland against England, which caught the attention of scouts from across Britain. It's estimated that as many as 30 cars queued up in the Lorimer streets in Brotty Ferry, hoping to sign the boy with dynamite in his boots. Both Rangers and Celtic were turned down, as Peter's parents didn't view them as being proactive enough and thought their son could do better elsewhere. John Quinn, Leeds United's chief scout, took a particular interest in Peter and would visit the Lorimer household every weekend with money for the family and eggs to help the youngster bulk up his skinny frame. Matt Busby's Manchester United were certain they would have Lorimer's signature when their scout left a briefcase containing £5,000, almost 110000 in today's money, at their house. The briefcase went back to Old Trafford untouched and instead it was Leeds United 
who secured the signature £2,000, almost £44,000 in today's money. Don Revy was in such a hurry to sign Peter that he got a speeding ticket from the police on his way north to Tayside. Still only 15 years old, Peter made his debut for the first team at Leeds in September 1962 in a 1-1 draw at home to Southampton. This made him the club's youngest debutant, aged 15 years and 298 days, a record that still stands to this day. While Don Revy rated Peter's skills, it would be another two years before he would break through from the reserves and cement his place in the first team. Despite very few first team appearances, he did manage to play seven times for Scotland's amateur team in 1963, where he went on a tour of Kenya before going professional with Leeds in December of that year. It was in 1965-66 that Peter started to make his mark in the first team after recovering from a broken leg. In his first season, he scored 19 goals in 34 league appearances and earned the nicknames Hotshot, Thunderboots and Lash, thanks to his goal-scoring weight and powerful shots. Little did the Ireland Road crowd know it, but their new number seven was going to be wearing that jersey for a long time. While Peter played behind Mick Jones and Alan Clark, his best friend in the lead dressing room was fellow Scot Eddie Gray, who came into the team at around the same time. The two would often be seen together away from Ellen Road and would play golf in summers up until fairly recently. Many who watched Leeds United in the 60s and 70s knew them as a tough team who would batter their opponents into submission to the point where they were given the nickname Dirty Leeds. Peter fitted right into this ethos and on several occasions was given his marching orders by referees. He described it as such. Our whole ethos was built on loyalty. We all fight for each other. We all work for each other. If someone kicks me, he kicks all 11 of us. These were one of England's top teams in the mid to late 60s and were often competing for silverware. While they had lost to Liverpool in the 1965 FA Cup final, they won their first major honour under Revy in 1968 by defeating Arsenal 1-0 at Wembley to lift the League Cup. More success would follow months later when Leeds beat Ferenc Varos of Hungary to lift the Fair Cities Cup, having beaten Hibernian, Rangers and Dundee along the way. In the late 1960s, a competition was held to determine who had the fastest shot in English football. While there was stiff competition for the title, Lorimer won the award with a shot of 76.8 miles per hour. But goalkeepers and defenders alike claimed his shots could reach as fast as 90 miles per hour. One penalty that he took was measures at an astonishing 107 miles per hour. It's important to remember that he was playing with a heavy leather ball and it's frightening to think how hard Peter could have hit a modern football. If you're ever asked who the only player to have played for Scotland at every level is, the answer is Peter Lorimer. International recognition for his efforts with Leeds followed from his impressive record at club level. His full international debut came against Austria on bonfire night in 1969, when Scotland lost 2-0 in Vienna. And while he would have to wait another two years after this to be called up again in a goalless draw with Wales, his first Scotland goal came against Northern Ireland in 1972, 
Peter played 21 games in total for Scotland, scoring four times, with his last international appearance coming in a 1-1 draw with Romania in December 1975. Many who saw Peter play believe he should have had more caps for Scotland. Had it not been for a commitment to play as a guest for Cape Town City in South Africa in the summer of 1969, he would have had more. The Scotland selectors were unhappy with this and gave Peter a lifetime ban which Tommy Doherty wisely revoked when he took over as Scotland manager. International duty was a markedly different experience from the day job at Leeds for Lorimer. Don Revie was known for being ahead of his time when it came to training methods and conditioning, with exercises such as badly performing players in training being made to wear a yellow jersey and trying to influence positive diets. Peter told The Guardian, When we met with players from other clubs at internationals, none of them were doing the things we were. It was all new. Everything was so ahead of its time and that's probably why we enjoyed it so much. As well as this, Revy was known as a superstitious control freak who wanted to know all about the whereabouts and activities of his players at all times. Life on international duty was much laxer by comparison. Don never let you out of his sight, checking with the landladies what time you got to bed as apprentices, posting spies in the pubs, locking us in a hotel for three nights even for domestic matches. With Scotland, though, the management couldn't keep a hold of the players, who were very difficult. Bobby Brown was weak, and Willie Ormond, a lovely guy, would sometimes end up drinking with the team. This might well explain the behaviour of the Scotland players in 1974 in particular. This was the year where Jimmy Johnston ended up having to be rescued by the Coast Guard in Largs on a team night out days before beating England at Hamden, a game which Peter played his part in. Peter was then one of several Scots from Leeds United to feature in the Scotland squad for the 1974 World Cup Finals in West Germany, where they had the unfortunate luck to bow out at the group stage despite not losing a single game. Peter scored one of Scotland's two goals against Zaire in the first match of the group and he felt that the scheduling of the matches was unfortunate. It was unfortunate we got Zaire first when they were full of running and not disheartened. We weren't scared of Brazil and should have beaten them. The Yugoslavia game was so frustrating as we really pummeled their goal too. They scored late in a breakaway, but they still couldn't beat us. They were good, but we were better. Back at Elland Road, Leeds won their first ever league championship in 1969, pipping Liverpool to the title by six points. The following season, Don Revie had his eye on an historic treble, the league, the FA Cup and the European Cup. Unfortunately for Leeds, it was to prove a disappointing season as they finished second in the league, nine points behind Everton, they lost 2-1 to Chelsea in a replayed FA Cup final after drawing the initial fixture to each. 
and they lost out to Celtic in the semi-final of the European Cup. Celtic won the first leg at Elland Road 1-0 and went on to defeat Leeds 2-1 at Hampden Park in front of a record European Cup crowd of 135,805. Despite this disappointment, more honours would come the way of Leeds and Lorimer. The club had yet to clinch the FA Cup and Reavy set about winning the competition, reaching the final in 1972, the year of the competition's centenary. In a tight match at Wembley, Alan Clark scored the only goal of the game to clinch it for Leeds, and they had finally won all three major honours in the English game. Disappointment was to follow the next year, however, as Leeds reached the final and were heavily fancied to go on to beat the Minnows of Sunderland. Ironically, Peter was interviewed before the game and told the BBC words along the lines of Leeds putting on an exhibition performance against the Mackhams if they could get an early goal. It was to be anything but for the Whites, as Ian Porterfield scored with just over half an hour played and Leeds were chasing the game. Peter had an excellent chance to equalise when Sunderland's goalkeeper Jim Montgomery palmed the ball out from a Trevor Cherry shot. With the keeper surely beaten, Lorimer took a shot, and the goalie's lightning-quick reflexes deflected the ball onto the crossbar and away to safety. While the Leeds players were already celebrating, commentator David Coleman was telling the nation watching the game on TV about Lorimer's great equaliser, only for the joy to be short-lived. Sunderland went on to lift the cup, and Leeds also experienced disappointment in the Cup Winners' Cup final that year with a 1-0 defeat to AC Milan. The Milan final was full of scarcely believable decisions made by the Greek referee who failed to award three clear penalties and was subsequently banned from football for life as a result. Following this disappointment, Don Reavy was determined to do what only Preston North End had done at this point and win the league with an unbeaten season. He realised that his team was starting to age and this could well be his last chance to do something with them before they would have to be broken up. New blood started to come into the Leeds team but the old core of players was still prominent. Peter Lorimer was still in the thick of the action in his number 7 jersey and had a fantastic season as despite the team's inability to go unbeaten over the course of a season, they beat Liverpool to the league title. Following this, Reavy left to become the England manager and in came an abrasive figure to replace him, to the disgust of many Leeds players. The arrival of Brian Clough at Elland Road was a shock to just about everyone given how much he had voiced his dislike of Leeds United under Don Reavy. Fortunately for Peter and the rest of the Leeds players, a disastrous start to the season saw Clough sacked after only 44 days and replaced by Jimmy Armfield. Under Armfield, things stabilised enough to finish 9th in the league and reach the European Cup final. But after the disappointment of losing to Bayern in Paris, the club started to go into a slow decline. 
1977, the club gave Peter a testimonial match where a Leeds 11 went up against the Scotland 11. The Leeds 11 contained players such as David Harvey, Billy Bremner, Tony Curry and Johnny Giles, where the Scotland 11 contained players such as Joe Jordan, Kenny Douglas, Arthur Graham, Frank Gray, Gordon McQueen, Martin Buchan and strangely, Jack Charlton. In the summer of 1978, Jimmy Armfield left and was replaced by Jock Steen, who had initially been asked to take over following Don Revy's departure, but had preferred to stay at Celtic at that time. Steen had the respect of his players, but had mixed results at first. A spanner in the works came when Alan McLeod was sacked as Scotland manager, and the opportunity proved to be too great for Steen to turn down, and Jimmy Adamson was brought in from Sunderland. Unfortunately, this was to prove the beginning of the end of Peter's time in his first spell at Ellen Road. Jimmy Adamson and his assistant Dave Merrington had a dislike of Lorimer due to him making a bad tackle on Jack Ashurst during a game where Leeds played Sunderland and refused to play him unless it was absolutely necessary. Peter's last game before his £25,000 transfer to Toronto Blizzard alongside his compatriot David Harvey was in his friend Eddie Gray's testimonial where he played for Super Leeds who consisted mostly of United Legends against a fairly current Leeds eleven. Around 20,000 people were at this game. When Peter was sold to Toronto Blizzard he was two goals away from equaling John Charles's league record of goals but he would later get a chance to break that record. While at Toronto, he was tempted back to Yorkshire for the majority of the 1979-80 season for a spell with York City, where he scored 8 goals in 29 appearances before going back to Toronto. Vancouver Whitecaps then hired him to be his old Leeds teammate, Johnny Giles' assistant, where he played as well as coached. In 1983, things had taken a turn for the worse at Leeds. Jimmy Adamson had been sacked in 1980 and replaced by Alan Clark. Unfortunately for Sniffer, he was unable to stop the rot and the club fell into the second division, with him being sacked in 1982. Eddie Gray replaced Clark and brought Peter back from Canada at the age of 37. At this point, Lorimer was older than his manager. The goal-scoring record for Leeds set by John Charles was finally broken and Peter played two more seasons at Elland Road. Eddie Gray left Leeds as manager in 1985 and was replaced by another former teammate, Billy Bremner. Unfortunately, this was to be the end of Peter's time as a player at Elland Road for good as Bremner wanted younger players instead of an attacking midfielder who was almost 40. He left having scored the record 238 goals in 676 games and after a spell at non-league Whitby Town under David Harvey, he retired from playing football. Following his retirement, Peter followed the path of many ex-players and took over the commercial hotel in the Holbeck district of Leeds, which he had for many years. When Leeds United were in danger of going bust in 2004, Peter stepped in to help to save the club and became a director. One of his less enviable tasks was to sack his friend Eddie Gray as manager. Fortunately, the two were able to joke about the situation in later years at functions and in public. Peter was also one of the first people 
that the local sports media were keen to speak to whenever a story emerged about Leeds United and enjoyed many golf trips with Eddie Gray. Peter Lorimer sadly passed away on the 20th of March 2021 after being admitted to a hospice in Yorkshire. The Dundonian with the dynamite shot certainly made his mark on football and will be remembered for his exploits on the world stage with a ball at his feet in the greatest Leeds United team ever. Above his exploits and his mentality to win at all costs, his calmness off the field was easy to see and a gentleman of the game will sadly be missed by everyone who knew him and saw him play. At the start of the podcast, we asked you who Queen's Park's first ever opponents at Hamden Park were in 1903. The answer is Celtic. The Spiders faced off against the Celts in the first ever match at the 3rd Hamden Park on the 31st of October 1903 in an exciting clash between the two Glasgow sides. David Wilson scored the first ever goal at Hamden to win the match 1-0 for Queen's Park, after which their club officials held a tea and social in the Alexandra Hotel at 148 Bath Street. Richard Robinson, who wrote a history of the first 50 years of Queen's Park, said, No one can deny the better team won, and if ever a team was overplayed, the Celts were that afternoon. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. If you'd like an extra football fix in your inbox every Tuesday, you can subscribe to Football Memories Scotland's weekly newsletter, The Football Special, and receive an email full of excellent pictures and stories from days gone by. To find out more, email lindsay at lindsay.hamilton at scottishfootballmuseum.org.uk The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland in association with Alzheimer's Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McGreerty. Additional material from The Scotsman, Peter Lorimer, Leeds and Scotland Hero by Phil Rostrum, LUFC Films, MOT Forum, On Yorkshire Magazine, The Times of London, BBC Sport, The Guardian, 442, Old Glasgow Pubs and History of the Queen's Park Football Club 1867-1917 to by Richard Robinson.